Good morning, Digital Technologies. I'm Vinny. I'm Gautier. And we're coming at you live via Big Blue Button. Today we have Mr. Nani Marquez here with us, a cyber activist and expert on computer linguistics. Welcome, Mr. Marquez. Hello. Thank you for being here with us today. We would like to first ask about your everyday life. What does your schedule look like? But it's, it's a little bit messy, so all of a sudden there are like um, calls because of political things and uh, conference calls at all days of uh, at all times of the day so it's it's messy so it's not there's it's, it's not like a eight to to five uh, job in that sense so it's chaotic and sometimes I also work in the night when I cannot sleep or so so I would imagine you would say you're more task oriented but how many hours are you working on average during the week by contract I should work 40 hours a week sometimes it's a little bit less sometimes it's much more so uh, I just uh, try to make sure that it matches at the end of the month in terms of experience with this technological field in your career what have you gained from this well if if I think that I'm doing something technically useful which people can use then it makes me of course happy or also the political sphere if we can show someone that uh, how something works uh, yeah my happiness in the end I think yeah, yeah. I mean it, it makes I mean it, it it makes you feel that you are doing something useful I think that's important for every kind of uh, task job whatever you do uh, that you feel it's not for nothing I mean, also this thing here, if you do a podcast with this, it can help someone to understand something better. We also do it in schools that we go there, explain how computers work, how the internet functions and try to social risks and chances. And then you see like reactions, people asking things, and this makes me just happy. So I think if someone had, has something from that, then I'm fine. I'm sure many will learn something useful from this podcast. And we're just as happy to have you here sharing your knowledge on cybersecurity with us today. When it comes to this topic of cybersecurity, the encryption of data plays a big role. And we know there are two main types of encryption, asymmetric and symmetric. Could you please explain the difference to us? Yes, so uh, in symmetric encryption, that's like the, the, the first type of encryption. You basically, you define a secret, for example, a password or a passphrase, which is like like a sentence, for example. One example of uh, symmetric encryption is AES, Advanced Encryption Standard, so that can also be used on to encrypt hard drives or to encrypt the file with a secret. The problem with symmetric encryption is that you only have one um, key, one secret, and you, you need to find a way to securely share it to the other party. And if you do that uh, through a, an unsecure channel like by phone call or if you if you just send it by unencrypted email to someone then you have the problem that someone could read that secret and then decrypt the file or decrypt other things which you encrypt with it and asymmetric encryption is an encryption scheme where you have two types uh, of keys per party you have a so-called secret key or private key which you keep to yourself on your system and you have a public key, which you can wildly share around uh, to everyone. And uh, and um, so every every party has a, a secret and a, and a, and a public key. 
So I would have that and you would also have that. And if I want to encrypt something to you, I don't use the, the secret, but I use the public part. It's always a pair, a private and uh, a public part uh, on your side. And if I want to encrypt something to you, I need to use the public part and you are the only one with the private part which can be encrypted on the other side. If you want to encrypt something to me, you take my public key, encrypt something to me, and then I can decrypt with my private key. A problem you can have with asymmetric encryption is that you use the wrong public key that someone injected the wrong public key into a channel and that then that you are encrypting the wrong part basically. But if you somehow can make sure that you are using the right public key, it's it's yeah it's more secure and more easy to encrypt something to someone. We would also like to ask you about a popular type of encryption. We hear a lot of uh, about blockchain uh, which is always more present uh, nowadays because everything is now uh, becoming about blockchain we see art mm -hmm. is about blockchain with nfts um there is everything is going to the blockchain do you think that's a good idea i don't think it, that it, it is a good idea to have everything uh, on the blockchain uh, you can have it for certain things for example these non-fungible tokens which i think also are, should also be topic here nfts uh, it's of course something which you can do that you have like uh, 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 certain um, yeah assets on the blockchain which uh, cannot be easily changed but um, to use it like for everything really everything is not like a good thing I mean imagine you you would send messages around and all of these messages are always saved on this blockchain so you would not just have your messages which you send around there, but also everyone else's messages. I mean, this is like extreme. I mean, just imagine emails or instant messaging um, messages. So uh, if you would save every uh, the, the whole world's message traffic, including spam around uh, on your own system in the end, that's like completely overkill. So I think you can use it for certain things, of course. How about cybercrime? Could blockchain be a solution to that? It can be a solution for for certain things. I mean, if you have like, if you want to store like, if you have like deliveries, let's say like chains, um, which you want to uh, to make sure that people cannot alter things, you can do that. But I don't think it's a solution for like the whole cyber area. I think we need the, the approach we need there is much more general. What cyber crimes have you uh, seen um, during this time of pandemic of? COVID-19. Lots of people working from home, of course. Um, uh, there were lots of um, phishing attacks going around. This is uh, still uh, uh, an issue since decades, which exists where people uh, forge, for example, emails or also other messages. This is, um, of course, the most common thing. But what also is happening more is that if you um, survey like the, um, the connections which exist in the internet, you can very easily see who works for whom and then try to somehow attack these services. So there, there were also much more attacks on, on these entry points to, or you attack the central service of a company because uh, all of a sudden you see all people entering the bank through that point and perhaps someone is able then to enter that point 
as an unauthorized user and then have access to all this data there. There was also this SolarWinds attack. So SolarWinds company, which provides like a security system to most of the um, Fortune 500 companies. So this was used by um, virtually everyone. And then through an update channel of this company, it was possible to enter all these companies basically. So I think that the US was heavily affected and also uh, lots of governmental services. And this also shows like a problem of this, of all this centralization and this dependency on third parties. So this must be heavily reduced if you want to, to be better in, in cybersecurity. So most of the problems arise because of centralization. Because of course, if you if you know there is this is the point used by everyone, I can attack this point. It might be more expensive to attack this point. It's like the winner takes it all. Of course, it's not something which usually a 16-year-old can do from his sofa, but it's something which state-level attackers or organized crime can do if they unite and put in resources. Then usually that's possible. And on the other end, we have sovereign states. Uh, which have increased surveillance on their citizens during this moment of crisis. Mm -hmm. We have yes. geolocation, credit card transactions being breached by different nations. So what's your take on this? Like, do we need to lose privacy to have basic health? Or is that an infraction of our privacy? I think it's an infraction of our privacy. I think it's really bad what's going on here because the problem with surveillance is that usually it comes to stay. I mean, all these measures we are having here, they are not nice, of course. These uh, restrictions of, of assembly or that things are being shut down uh, from time to time. But I don't think these are things which will stay forever because people are not... It's, I think it's not realistic to say theaters and uh, concerts will be forbidden for. For, for all the times, but all the surveillance things which are being introduced after 9-11 and, and things like that, they are like, it's very probable that they just stay in the end because they can also be used for other ends. And this is very dangerous. And it's also very sad in a way because in the end, we need to get rid of this virus and not to like um, install infrastructures to surveil everyone so this yeah this is going into the in, into the wrong direction and also if you take these green pass ideas which are being discussed here i'm also not a very fan of that i mean it's understandable that they want to have a solution that you can travel around but the question is if this will um, if this will go away anytime soon i mean usually as i say because it has to be it has to do with control and surveillance this is very probable to stay and uh, if you even go so far as to to ask for some yeah some piece of proof that you uh, that you are vaccinated or something for restaurants and concerts and everything then it's really that you're always like being controlled everywhere and this is not very compatible in my view to a free society so we should somehow try to get rid of the virus itself and not try to put control uh, points everywhere in society because of that. When it comes to surveillance, the tendency is for it to stay, like you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And nowadays, we allow different companies to even monitor our heartbeat and our yeah. body temperatures. And with big data, we know we have things being manipulated uh, to our eyes and the access of information. So do you see a future where big data will be used to actually see our bodily reactions to such information? Since they can see my, let's say, immediate physical reaction, would manipulation go yeah. by step 
cool with that. Yes, I see that tendency. You would never have enough data. You always want to have more and more and more private data. So yes, this this is uh, happening, and uh, we can stop it to some extent. I mean, there are also like campaigns against face recognition. I mean, if you look at China, for example, where this, which you are saying, is to to some extent already done, that uh, expressions are being analyzed and people are being taken aside if they look suspicious for whatever reason this is really i think this is not very uh, healthy because in, in the end you have like a fully paranoid society where everyone is always looking around and things like that i don't think that this is the way we should be tendency is like that also in the west not just in china so this is highly uh, problematic and and uh, also during pandemic this was already used to some extent that you had like drones going around or cameras looking for crowds and stuff like that and uh, when you have that for that you can also use it for other kinds of demonstrations in the future i think th there is no real technical solution to that you you need people saying now it's really enough stop it you don't have to forbid the technology uh, by itself this is nonsense but you should limit it to certain aspects uh, of life and not to have it like uh, everywhere. Otherwise, we really, uh, we really will get into a fully totalitarian system. Thank you for the insightful information. This being your field of expertise, we would like to know how did you get started in this career path? In the very beginning, uh, I started with uh, gaming and then uh, at some point I also discovered Linux and saw how oh, you can change things, there was a little bit of programming in that direction. As I discovered the, the Chaos Computer Club, the CCC, which is like the biggest hacker organization in, um, in Europe, uh, starting in Germany in the 80s, we also created a meeting space in, in Zurich at some point. And I think this was the beginning of things getting also more political. At some point there was this combination of technical work, but when I see it, something is going wrong in the political space, I'm also intervening there. So with all this knowledge you acquired in hacking over the years, what led you to choose this ethical path of raising awareness about privacy and freedom of expressions and not another path which might be more lucrative? Yeah, the other path you're mentioning, this criminal hacker path, like of, uh, I mean, you can do that, but it, I think, I, I don't think that in the long run, it's, uh, it's a path where you will stay free. I am an ethical person, so I don't want to engage in such practices. So, uh, sometimes in the CC, we also uh, cross some lines, but just to raise awareness. So I think the motivation is, in the end, it's it's very much about uh, freedom that you want to see, be in a, in a free society. It's not a thing which is granted, not at all. Even in democratic societies, you always have like these other forces, which if you if you let them develop, you might get into a totalitarian system at some point. I, I want to have like things decentralized, be it in society, be, be it in the technical sphere, because I think that you can have more freedoms like that in the end. And um, well, if you have some skills and some knowledge of the stuff, you can also earn money in a more honest way. You don't need to engage in criminal practices. Uh. Yeah, in the end of the day, it's definitely better to sleep lightheaded than with a heavy wallet. To wrap it up, we would like to ask you for any advice you might have for students who want to pursue the same ethical career path as you. Yeah, well, I think they should read a, a lot and uh, and try um, open systems, open source systems like Linux, because then there you can change things, try to 
to understand uh, when it changed something, how it um, changed the behavior of the system. So I think it's a combination of reading a lot about how things work and trying a lot. And it's it's also a lot of trial and, and error. So uh, you cannot always expect things to work. So sometimes you, you, you need a break and then all of a sudden oh, you find a solution in your head. So it's something like this. Um, yeah, it takes it, it it takes quite some time, but the positive thing is that you have a, a very steep curve in the beginning, uh, where you are uh, learning lots of different things. And how about some advice for any other person who's listening to this podcast? Encrypt everything, decentralize everything. I think this would be the right direction. Well, thank you, Anani, for your time today. I'm sure your knowledge and advice will be very useful for our listeners. Okay, thank you too. Once again, I'm Vinny. I'm Gauthier. And this was Digital Technologies with Hernani Marques on encryption, blockchain, privacy, and surveillance. We would like to wish you all a very pleasant day. <laughs>